We look around our world and it's so crazy. So many things we could focus on, but just for these moments. God, I thank You because I look at my life this week and I see that Your goodness and Your mercy have been following me. And they will continue to follow me all the days of my life. Lord, we thank You this morning because for those of us who have faith in Your Son and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, for those of us who have faith in that, we know that not only has Your goodness and Your mercy been following us and will continue to follow us all the days of our lives, but Lord, there will come a day when we will receive the greatest of all blessings. Be able to dwell in your house forever. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Even in the midst of strife, in the midst of turmoil. Help us, Lord, to remember that you will not leave us, you will not forsake us. You will not abandon us as orphans. Jesus, on on the day that you ascended into heaven. You, you told Your disciples and, and through thousands of generations of disciples down to us today that You would be with us even to the end of the age. Even to the very ends of the earth. No matter what comes, Lord, thank You for being with us. Lord, we ask that You would be with us now in a powerful way as Your Word is opened. God, as, as I stand here, I, I know that I am weak. I know that I am unworthy. I know that I am unable. But God, the most incredible thing is that You don't even need me. So Father, in spite of me and in spite of my weaknesses, Father, You preach this morning, please. Speak to us from Your Word. Cast aside all of our pride, all of our arrogance. Humble us before You, Father, that we might hear what You have to say to us from Your Word this morning. That we might be challenged and convicted where we have failed. But Lord, that we might also be encouraged and comforted and strengthened, God, for those who are in need of that also. Your Spirit working through Your Word is able to deliver on all of those things simultaneously for each one of us. So we ask now, Lord, that You would move amongst us. That You would speak from Your very Word. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to our Father in Heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, and we've already used them once, we will take them again. Or just as Jake said, you can use one of the black ones in the back of the pew in front of you. If you don't have one, you're welcome to keep that one, as he said. If you are tuning in online and you don't have a Bible, let us know. We will send you a Bible. The post office is still going. UPS and FedEx and all those other things are still going on. We can get God's Word to you. Let's just take a brief moment to catch up to where we are. So this morning we will be in Exodus chapter 3. We'll be beginning in verse 13. Now we have a chunk of Scripture to read and work through this morning. And I want you to understand that there's enough material here, genuinely, you could 
Google this very passage and probably hear 17 different sermons on this passage and not one of them would overlap the other. There's so many tidbits that the Lord has for us in this passage, in this encounter between Moses and the Lord. But let's catch up to where we are because we meet Moses, as we did last week, very different than we did in chapters 1 and 2. You remember Moses is born during a very terrible and tumultuous time in the life of the Israelites as they are enslaved in Egypt and Pharaoh is afraid of them. Pharaoh then puts orders in place that are egregious, that are absolutely horrific. And he is trying to thin out the herd of the Israelites. And yet Moses' mother was faithful. And then God was good. His goodness was pursuing Moses and Moses' mother because then Moses' mom got paid to be Moses' nurse. So Moses' mother gets a salary for being a mom. And all the mothers in the house said, Amen, right? You deserve way more than you ever receive, especially the little trinkets that we often get you guys on Mother's Day. So I'm, I'm so very sorry. But Moses' mother gets this opportunity to help raise her son. And then Moses is raised as a prince in Pharaoh's very household. He gets the best education. He knows numerous languages probably. He's given leadership courses and instruction in all of these various ways. Probably very full of himself. Probably very arrogant and proud. And I am Moses. This is who I am. And, and he feels this sense of justice that he is able to execute literally in the moment. And so as he's wandering to and fro, he sees an Egyptian taking advantage of an Israelite. He remembers that those are his people. And so he murders the Egyptian when the, the altercation escalates. And he hides his body in the sand and thinks, Moses, I'm going to get away with this. But he comes to know that his deeds were found out. We can't hide our sins from the Lord. So he flees and he waters some camels and some sheep and some herds for this young lady named Zipporah. And he gets taken into this household with this man who goes by two names, Ruel and Jethro. And then he begins to work in this household. And so this has been happening for the last 40 years or so. We have to enter into this place knowing that Moses has been a shepherd for about 40 years at this point. He's seen a lot of stuff. He is not the brash and arrogant young ruler in Egypt. He's a humble shepherd. He doesn't really have to deal with a whole lot of people. He hangs out with his family and the people around his family. Maybe the people he runs into at the well. But he is mighty content to live out the rest of his days as a simple shepherd watching over the sheep. And yet one day, while watching the sheep, he sees a bush that is burning. This is in the natural course of his life. I want you to imagine you wake up one morning and walk outside and find the tree that is in your front yard on fire with no smoke and nothing actually burning. No ash being generated at all. Of course, you're going to walk over there and go, what is going on? That's what Moses does. He goes over and he finds that the Lord is speaking to him through this fire. So take off your shoes, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. And then he says, I've got a mission for you, Moses. Here's what I want you to do. And Moses' first response, his immediate reaction is, who, who am I? I, I? I can't do that. And God says immediately, just like we prayed, just like Jesus said, over and over in Scripture we see it. God speaks to Moses and says, Moses, don't worry about how inadequate you are. I will be with you. That's all that you need to know, Moses. I'm going to be with you. And then 
Moses comes up with more questions. So we pick up as Moses is going to have more questions. Now, I am going to say this, and I mean this. If you are not physically able, then it is okay to stay seated. Or if you get to a point where you cannot stay standing, because we are going to read a significant chunk of verses, please sit down before you pass out. If you pass out, we are going to assume that you're okay and the service will just continue, all right? If you stand up and lock your legs, I've been at weddings, okay? I've been there. You do this number and you're going down like a ton of bricks. It's going to happen, all right? So just get a little bounce in your knees. You're going to be okay, all right? If you don't think you can make it, sit down. There is no shame, all right? We good? All right. If you found your place in the Word of the Lord and if you are physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy Word? As we look together... At Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, we will read through chapter 4, verse 17. The word of the Lord says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. He said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. 
So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or, or since you have spoken to your servant, but, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made a man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with you. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come back to this passage this morning where the Lord reveals his name. And we looked last week at all that God says in the revelation of his very name. There is so much that God says just in revealing His name. And then immediately after revealing His name, even in the text we read this morning, we will see that pattern that we talked about Sunday and then went into further detail on Wednesday night. LORD in all capital letters. So everywhere, even here in chapters 3 and 4, that God refers to Himself by the name that He just gave Moses, the Hebrew people who passed down this text were already so reverent of that name, they let it be right up there where He reveals it to Moses the first time. But from that point on, we're just going to write something else or we're going to strike that name out so that nobody says it or disrespects that name. And then Moses and God begin this dialogue. And I just love when dialogues like this happen in Scripture. This is, this is one of the most exciting passages because we can speak to God like this. This is what Abraham does. This is what Moses does. They speak with God and there is an exchange, a back and forth. The sovereign king of all the universe lets insignificant me and insignificant you talk back to him without striking us with a bolt of lightning. Praise God, is that not good? We can look back at God and go, but, 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 but God, I don't talk, talk, talk so good. And God goes, well, you know, I made your mouth. I can make your mouth work if I want to make it work. But, but please, God, just, just send anybody else. Okay, well, you got a brother. I'll just talk through your brother. Moses gives back and forth to the Lord. Abraham gives back and forth to the Lord. You and I have the liberty in our prayer life to speak to the Lord respectfully, but say, God, I, I don't know. God, I'm not sure. God, what about this? But, but, but God, I just, I just, I just, We have the freedom, just like Moses, just like Abraham, to speak back and forth with God. And every time we find this kind of exchange happening, we find so much depth in Scripture. So Moses and the Lord begin this back and forth. 
And, and man, everything in this passage is about God's sufficiency and Moses' inadequacy. But see, that doesn't matter. When Moses says, my mouth doesn't work, God says, I made your mouth. Do you not get the irony of what you're saying here? I can make your mouth work. It's not about your mouth working. The crux of what God is asking Moses to do is be obedient. What I want to try my best to be as laser focused on this morning as we can be is that our faith should lead to obedience. If we have real faith, God is asking us to be obedient and then we will see God's power at work in our lives. But what I do all the time, and maybe you're guilty of this too, maybe you're watching at home and this is how you feel, I want God's power at work in my life without having to be obedient. I want God to do awesome things in me and through me, in my family and through my family, but I don't want to be obedient. I just want the power and I don't want the obedience. But they are inseparable. Look at what happens here in Scripture. Before we even come back to Moses, let's go all the way back to Noah. Before God's power is unleashed and Noah's family is delivered through the flood, what does God say to Noah? He starts off and says, Noah, go build a boat. Noah, it's going to rain, go build a boat. And Noah is not a master craftsman. Noah is a regular, ordinary kind of guy. You know how we know? Because God gives him every exact step of the way. Noah's not doing something phenomenal here, folks. He got a piece of furniture from Ikea. It just happened to have a hundred years worth of steps as opposed to the 30 to 45 minutes it usually takes an average person or, you know, the two or three hours it takes me to put that furniture together. God gives Noah everything that he needs to put the ark together. He says it's going to be this wide, it's going to be this tall, it's going to be this long, you're going to use this kind of wood, here's how it's going to work. And then Hebrews tells us that the whole time that he builds, he's preaching to the people, the rain's going to come. Did God need Moses to build a boat? No. God, the same God that we learned just a few chapters earlier, said let there be light and there was. He said let there be vegetation and there was. God could have showed up to Noah and said, Noah... There's going to be a flood. Let there be an ark. Poof. And there it was. He doesn't need Noah to build the ark. He asks Noah to be obedient. And then God's power is unleashed. Noah builds the ark. Noah preaches to the people. Noah gathers his family. They get in the boat. And then the rains come. God closes the door. After Noah is obedient, we see God's power at work. Then we move to Abraham. Abraham's the same way. God says, Abraham, I want you to pack up and move. And Abraham goes, okay, God, where are we going? And God says, I'm going to tell you. Just pack up and get ready to move. We're going to move. You, you don't like the beach, the mountains, we're going to the lake. I'm just, I'm just trying to wonder what things to pack. No, 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 Abraham. Pack everything up. Pack everything up and then we're going to go. Um, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Just pack up and go. Abraham doesn't hesitate. He doesn't, he doesn't take a moment's breath. He packs it up and he moves. God never even told him where he was going. He never even said, here's the land I'm leading you to. He didn't even give him a vision of it. He just said, Abraham, pack up and go. And Abraham was obedient and packed up. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. 
And then a hundred years later, Abraham was faithful and waited and God gave him Isaac. And then he said, hey, Abraham, you know that son that you waited for for a hundred years? I want you to take that son and I want you to go sacrifice him to me. Huh? No, no, no. The Bible's very explicit. You gotta, you gotta look in the book of Genesis. It says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one that I gave you, the one you waited on for a hundred years. Take that boy and go and sacrifice him on the mountain that I'm gonna tell you about to me to prove that I'm more important than your son that I gave you. And Abraham did it. He packed up the donkey. He got everything ready. And you know what? God didn't say, hey, guess what? You got everything ready, Abraham, so you don't have to do it. You packed up just like I told you. Well, he did that the first time. So God said, let's, let's wait a little bit longer. He didn't wait until Abraham got to the point where he had to leave the servants behind. And it was just him and Isaac. He and Isaac begin this trek up this mountain. And Isaac's carrying the wood the same way that Jesus carries the cross. And as Isaac's going up the mountain, it's not like God intervenes right then and says, Man, Abraham, you did it. I asked you to obey, and now... Here is a ram. You don't have to sacrifice your son. Didn't happen on the way. Didn't happen when they let the servant stay behind. Didn't happen on the way up to the mountain. Didn't happen while strapping Isaac down to the altar. Didn't happen in any point other than after the knife is raised and he's about to come down and stab his son knowing that God could bring him back from the dead. That's how much faith Abraham had. And we know that because he was about to do it. And in the moment, God said, hold up! There's a ram in the thicket. When Abraham obeyed, the power of God was unleashed and a ram just showed up with its horns trapped in the thicket. And God uses Abraham in this moment to speak to us. The Lord will provide a sacrifice. Fast forward past Moses. This is not just something earthly. This is everywhere in Scripture. Elijah, in the middle of a famine, goes to a little town called Zarephath. In this little town called Zarephath, there's a widow. And this widow is about to bake a cake of oil that is the the last cake that she can bake. She's got just enough oil for one last cake. And Elijah walks up and says, hey, can you bake me a cake? And the woman says, well, um, you know, I was about to bake a cake for my son and myself. And we were just going to eat it. What was your plan after that? Oh, just starve. We, We got nothing else. Well, let me tell you what. Here's what the Lord says in that moment. Look it up in first Kings 17. In that moment, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and Elijah says, thus says the Lord, you bake me the cake first. There'll be plenty for you. The Lord will provide for you. And so the woman goes, bakes a cake for Elijah. And then there's enough oil for her and her son. And the oil doesn't fill up immediately. God didn't need that woman. To bake a cake. He could have made a raven drop a cake. That God could have made the oil overflow, could have made her whole house fill up with oil. But He wanted her to be obedient. She went and made a cake for Elijah and then the oil replenished. And then she made a cake for her son and herself and the oil replenished. And then she went back and made a cake the next day for Elijah and her and her son and the oil replenished. Do you see over and over and over and over again in Scripture, this is what God asks us to do. Be faithful and obedient, and that will unleash His power in our lives. But so often, you and I, we want the power. We want the oil to be in the jar, and we don't want just enough oil. We want the full jar of oil. We want everything that we need, and we want it right now. We don't want to have to do anything to get it. 
But God says be faithful and obedient. Even in something as small as bake a cake. Just bake a cake for Elijah first. That's what happens this morning with Moses. That's exactly what happens with Moses. As he's giving these excuses and this back and forth with the Lord, the Lord says, hey, I'm going to show you some signs that will be proof to the elders of Israel and proof to you that I am who I said I am. And he says, Moses, I want you to take your staff. And I just, the, the interchange between these is, Moses, what's that in your hand? Like, God doesn't know what Moses is holding. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's sitting there at the burning bush, and he says, hey, Moses, what you holding? And Moses went, uh, you mean that? It is a staff. It's just regular old shepherd's staff. That's, that's all it is. And he says, I want you to take that staff, I want you to throw it down. Did God need Moses to throw the staff on the ground to turn it into a serpent? No. By no means. God could have turned it into a serpent right there in His hand. But God asks Moses to take the first step of obedience and throw the staff on the ground. Then the power of God moves and the staff becomes a serpent. Don't miss that Moses ran away. He's been a shepherd for 40 years, folks. 40 years. And he throws that staff down. He's probably seen every snake there is to see in all of the land of Midian where he's staying with his father-in-law Jethro. He knows the good snakes and the bad snakes. I don't know good snakes and bad snakes. I just know bad snakes. If you're one of the people in this room or online this morning and you believe with all your heart you leave the good snakes alive and they help take care of the bad snakes, I have more power to you. I don't know the difference. Well, Pastor, if you just look at their head... One of them has a very diamond-shaped head, and one's a very black-shaped head. I don't know, okay? I'm just going to kill the snake. I'm afraid of a snake. If I throw the staff down and it turns into a snake, <laughs> yes, sir, all right, uh, I'm going to get a machete or something like that. Where's my tool shed? Um, you know what? My neighbor might be home. Let me call my neighbor and see what he's up to. I'm just, I'm Dax Kennedy. He's out in the woods all the time. I, I call Dax. Maybe he'll come help me out. That's not Moses. Moses knows every snake that there is to know in the wilderness. He's, he's been in the wilderness for 40 years. And he sees this snake and he reacts like I do. He sees a woohoo and he runs away with his shoes off in front of God manifested to him as a burning bush. He's afraid of the snake. Okay, He runs away. And then God tells him, I want you to be like Steve Irwin. Okay, I don't know if you all watch a lot of snake shows. I don't, but the ones that I do, the people that don't get bitten, you know where they grab that snake? Right here behind the head. Right here. They grab it. And you know how a snake can bite you if you're holding it behind the head? It can't. Because you got it by the head. But what does Steve Irwin do? Oh, crikey, is this a beaut? Look at this thing. It's a venomous snake. It's the most beautiful snake in the world. We're just gonna, we, we don't want to disturb it. We don't want to disturb it. Let's get it by the tail. We're gonna lift it up. Alright, now, you've got to be very cautious when you lift him this way. You don't want to leave enough of their body on the ground so that they can strike you. Alright? God rest Steve Irwin's soul. Great guy. Okay? Taught us all that when you pick up a snake by the tail, you can do it and they survive or whatever. Don't do that. The Bible doesn't tell you to do that. If you go home and all you took from this passage was Steve Irwin in the Bible telling me to pick snakes up by the tail, that is not the advice today. Okay? But I will tell you, it's pretty dangerous to pick up a snake by the tail. Why else would we have all watched Steve Irwin do it for all of his life? Because it was entertaining and we didn't know if he was going to get bit. And it's a dangerous way to grab a snake. God tells Moses, there and pick up that snake. Walk back over there and pick it up by the tail. Could God have turned the staff back into a staff without Moses going back over there? 
Man, Moses, I know that's a, that's a deadly cobra. <laughs> I get it. He's afraid of it. Let me turn it back into a staff and then you go pick it up. No. Even in the face of a deadly snake, God says, Moses, first, go grab it by the tail. And then when Moses has faith that is exemplified by his obedience, goes and picks up the serpent by the tail, it turns right back into a staff. What's the next thing? The next thing he says, put your hand in your cloak. Again, all of this theater, so to speak, is unnecessary. Can you imagine Moses when he pulls his hand back out? Leprosy. I mean, like white with leprosy. I don't know if you guys have done any research on leprosy. By the time it's white with leprosy, it's gangrenous. You know, it's like when you're getting frostbite and then all of a sudden your appendage turns black. It's gone. It's over. There is no more. It's done. When Moses pulls his hand back out of his cloak, his hand might as well be gone. And he's kind of probably thinking, I argued with God. Now I've got leprosy and I'm going to die. Why did I argue with God? Oh man, oh, this is bad. And God says, alright, now put your hand back in, your cloak, and now pull it back out. Could he have just said, you got leprosy. You don't anymore. Yes. But God asks Moses. He is growing Moses in faith. And obedience. And the last one, the last one is what really gets me, okay? Because this is the one that he commands Moses to do in front of the elders of Israel. If you caught this morning, he's supposed to take a cup when he's there. Not right then in that moment. But when he's there, he's supposed to take the cup, dip it in the Nile, and then go before the elders of Israel and pour the cup onto the ground. And where does the Bible say that the water will turn into blood? It says, on The ground. And it's real easy to hold up a cup full of water and do the water into wine like Jesus. Nobody really knows what happened, but all of a sudden this water is now wine. You hold up the cup and it was full of water and now it's full of blood and you go, Behold the power of God! This water from the Nile is now blood! And they go, Really? And you just show them. "Uh Look, right here, it's blood. It doesn't actually take all that much courage to do that. But how dumb, how foolish do you think you'd look if you go, Behold the power of God! The water is now blood! I should pour it upon the ground! It's still water. Hang on, guys. I'll be right back. I'm going to get one more cup. Look, God said this was going to work, okay? Just give me one more, one more go-round. It's going to be okay. I'm just going to go get one more cup. This is a highly, potentially embarrassing situation for Moses. But God asks Moses to be obedient. Get the cup. Dip the water. Now hold the cup up. Then pour it out. And Moses, it will turn into blood on the ground. But you've got to be faithful, Moses, before the water turns into blood. Before my power works through you, you've got to be obedient. That obedience has to be founded in faith. If we believe, we obey. If we don't believe, we don't obey. It's just that simple, but guys, we we fail all the time. Even after Moses is obedient in these ways, he says, Lord, I'm not eloquent, I can't talk. And then it says the Lord's anger was kindled. Don't miss the irony of the word of the Lord saying that He is speaking as a burning bush, burning bush, 
and his anger was kindled. So I just want you to imagine if you can, this is complete speculation, but imagine if you can that there's an extra burst of flame from that bush because his anger is kindled at Moses' continued disbelief. I just turned your staff into a snake. I just made your hand leprous and restored. I just did the Nile water thing with the blood. And not only that, but three powerful, significant symbols of Egypt. Pharaoh had a crown that he wore that had a hooded cobra on the crown. And when Pharaoh sat on the throne and put the crown on his head, when he did that, he was supposed to be imbued with some sort of godlike power. And there was no god more powerful than him in all of Egypt. So there's a reason that God turns the staff into the very snake that's probably on the crown, on Pharaoh's crown, on the hooded cobra. There's a reason that he uses leprosy because for all of Egypt's power and technology and might, they still couldn't cure leprosy. But God, with one motion, leprous not. The Nile was synonymous with Egypt. The Nile brought 30 feet of nutrient-rich black soil to the delta every year. When you talked about Egypt, you might as well have talked about the Nile. And God's going to turn it to blood These three things are happening so that Moses sees that it is God overthrowing all that Egypt considers powerful. And even though Moses is is willing to be faithful in the small things, he's still hesitant. He still says, God, I I, I just don't know. I, I, I I can't talk real well. Is that not you? Is that not me? Hey, I want you to read your Bible, Nathan. I want you to... To learn about me and read your Bible, God says. Oh, okay. All right. And then if you'll be faithful and obedient to read your Bible, I'll show up in those moments and I'll teach you, Nathan. Okay, God, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. I love it. Throw your staff down and it'll become a snake. Well, now let's, let's go just a step further. Pick the staff up. Oh, but it's a dangerous snake. Nathan, I want you to take what you've learned and what I've taught you in private. and I want you to teach it in public. I want you to be faithful to do that. I've given you a word and I want you to share that word. Maybe not as a preacher, maybe not as a pastor, maybe not as a Sunday school teacher. Maybe there's somebody God puts on your heart. Man, I was reading this the other day and it really encouraged me. I just want to send this to you. And it's a lot more scary than just reading your Bible in private, but it's that next step of obedience. And and maybe we're brave enough to do that. And we share that word with somebody else. We just text them. We read something and we go, man, I just this reminds me of so-and-so and they're going through such and such and I'm going to send them this verse. And we watch as God's power begins to show up in our lives a little bit more. And then God asks us to go a step further and it's the leprosy. And He asks us to be faithful and obedient in our prayer life. Faithful and obedient to step up and serve. To step up and give. To step up and live what we're learning Step by step, he asks these things, but then we hit a ceiling. You and me, we hit a ceiling like Moses. Moses, now go. I've shown you everything, now go. Nathan, now go. Go to that person. Go to that place. Be faithful in this. And that's, that's where I draw my line. I, I don't know, Lord. I'm not, I don't know that I can pull that off. It's a, it's a deadly snake. I mean, I get it. It's, it's leprosy. That's bad. I get it. It's, it's in front of the people. The water's going to turn to blood. I get it. But Lord, I'm just not eloquent. I can't do it. And the, the funniest, ironic part 
is even in his prayer. Oh, my Lord. When, when, he, when he starts off and he's saying, you are sovereign. You are my master. You are my boss. You're in charge of me. I, I just can't do it. I, ca- I can't do it. Moses, do you think I needed you for any of that stuff in the first place? No. Hey, Nathan, do you think the Lord really needed you to do any of the stuff that he's done through you in your life? Hey, Jake, do you think the Lord really needed you to do any of the things that he's done through your life? But the Lord invites us into a relationship with him where when we are obedient to his word, his power is unleashed in our lives. I want you to think about somebody that you know that is the most godly person you know. And when you're around them, you just feel the Holy Spirit oozing out of them. And you think, man, I want that. I just I want to be like that. I want you to think about that athlete that you watch run, you know, a, a four second 40. I mean, just these crazy numbers is incredible talent. I want to be that. But but our society spiritually and everywhere else, we want to be that without any of the work. I want to play guitar like Alex plays his guitar, but I don't ever want to practice. All right. I want to sing like Jason sings, but I don't want to have to like go to school and do that opera stuff that Jason had to do. That seems a bit over the top. I, I, I just want to be able to like, you know, sing. I want to be able to play the piano like Deidre plays the piano. I don't want to play in a church for years like Deidre did learning and, and perfecting and her craft and all, all these things. I want to be able to throw a football like Tom Brady, but I, I don't ever want to like go practice. That's us. Welcome to us. Population, me and you. Folks, we do the same thing in our spiritual life. God, I want your power. I want to feel your presence. I want to know you're here with me. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good, I want to be a good son. I want to be a good pastor. But I mean, like, I don't want to like read your word and like fellowship with you daily and, and, and obey you and trust that you're moving in these ways and, and like step out on faith. What is that? Can't you just make me this person without me doing these things? It doesn't work that way. You want to see God move in your life and in your family. I want to see God move in my life and my family. Then we together have to be faithful and obedient. Even in the small things. Throw down the staff. Pick up the snake. Put your hand in your cloak. Pour out the cup. Make a cake of bread. Sacrifice your son. Build an ark. God tells people to do these things in His Word. And His power is unleashed when they obey. Because when they obey, it's obvious they have faith. When we obey, it's obvious that we have faith. So this morning, our question from Scripture to us, if people look at the way that we live, And the power of God at work in our lives, does it look like we're obeying? Does it look like we have faith? Or do we show up to church once a week and think, eh, it's good enough. I don't really want God's power in me more than that. Do we read His Word? Are we faithful in the small things? Listen, if if you want to know whether or not you're being faithful, if you want to know whether or not I'm being faithful, Look at where I spend my time. Look at where I spend my money. And look at how I act in private. 
We can't look at all that for everybody. But you can look at it for yourself. You want to know, am I really being obedient to the Lord? What do I do when nobody else is around? Am I faithful to the Lord when it's just me and Him? Where do I spend my money? Am I obedient and faithful to the Lord in, in where and how I spend my money? Where's all my time go? Am I faithful and obedient to the Lord in how I spend my time? Folks, if we want the power of God at work in our lives, we have to be obedient. Because obedience is rooted in, founded in, grows out of faith. So this morning, it's a simple question. When you look at your life, are you being obedient? Do you have faith? Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word and the powerful truth that is found within God, I know that I fail so regularly in the area of obedience. God, we do want to see Your power. We want to see You move in our families. We want to see You move amongst us here at Bethany. We want to see You move in our personal lives. We want to see Your power at work among us. So Lord, we're we're asking that You would help us and cause us to be obedient. That we would hear You saying, drop the staff. Pick up the snake. And that we would follow. Lord, that we would be filled with faith that drives us to obedience. God, there may be people listening online or or, or here in person that they've never started a journey of faith with You. God, if that's the case, Pray that this morning you would open their eyes and help them see that there is no other way, no other truth, and no other life except through Jesus Christ. But God, we are oftentimes living as dead Christians. And we are cut off from your power because we want your power and refuse to obey. Lord, help us.